So welcome to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. I'm your host, Stephanie Pavlantos. And today I just want to start out with a little bit of a caution. My guest today is Barb Winters. She has a book out called Sexpectations. And we're going to be talking about her book and her experience with dealing with a family member who's had addictions to pornography, even just different sexual types of relationships and different things that are going on in our world that aren't real pleasant to talk about and we would rather just keep under wraps. But we're going to bring out some of those topics and talk about them very I don't want to say discreetly, but we're going to talk about them cleanly and biblically. So while I don't want people to worry about, you know, being offended by things, but we're going to talk about sensitive subjects. So if there's people around you that you don't want hearing this, then I'm just giving you a heads up right now. All right. So thank you for joining me today, Barb. I appreciate you being here. So blessed to be here. Thank you, Stephanie. And Barb is a pastor's wife, and she is the mother of four children. And you are also a certified sexual risk avoidance specialist. So would you mind giving us a little bit of an idea of what all that means and what that looks like? Sure. Because of my story, which we're going to talk about in a minute, Mm -hmm. I did some research and I found a local organization who goes into schools and we talk about risky behaviors and making healthy choices. And for that position, for that job, I got some training and that's where I became a certified sexual risk avoidance specialist. And that's what I do in the schools. We talk about uh, sexual activity and the risks involved with that, uh, violence and some other things too, drugs, et cetera. Mm, Okay. Do you want to tell your story a little bit of, uh, because I know we're going to unpack a lot, probably unfold things that you have been through and how it all started, but why don't you start wherever you'd like to and begin the process of unfolding your life and what led up to writing this book? Sure. I'd love to do that. So yes, like you said, I'm a pastor's wife and I was a homeschool mom. I'm since retired from that job as my kids are all older now. Uh, But we moved to Florida to plant a church, oh, going on eight years ago now. And when we first moved here, um, my husband and I were just out on a walk, enjoying the Florida scenery, kind of getting to know our neighborhood, et cetera. And we rounded the corner and could see um, across this busy street, our son standing in our yard and he was like jumping up and down. He was in hysterics. He was in a panic. Uh, we both left our phone at home. We didn't, we weren't able to be reached and he was just flipping out, um, crying hysterically. And when we finally were able to cross that busy street and get to him, I could hear words like porn and police and arrested, but I, you know, I couldn't piece it together at first through the wailing. And when I finally figured out what he was saying, He was telling us that he had been watching pornography and a warning had popped up on his screen saying that if he didn't pay money, that they were going to call the police and have him arrested. Well, um, I'm so thankful that he told us, but at the time I was freaking out. This was not on our radar. This was not anything we imagined could possibly be in our home. So it was all brand new information. And I stood there. I was in shock. I had this gag reflux at the back of my throat. 
I did not respond well. My body was flipping out and, um, you know, I just didn't know what to do. And so we, you know, we ushered him into another room. We began having a discussion. His dad kind of calmed us down and, you know, we, we learned that this warning was bogus, that it was just someone trying to bribe him. Basically, uh, we call it other things now in the classroom, catfishing, sextortion, various things. Um, but I didn't know any of that existed. So, um, we, we tried to help him. We did our best and we, um, had a long discussion with him. We put some protections in place, but after a couple of, uh, years, about a year and a half, maybe he came back to us and said he was still having trouble. He was still, um, as a matter of fact, addicted to pornography and we had to, you know, further our program and trying to help him. And through all this was, um, for me, just a devastating time. I had all the feels, you know, I felt guilty. I'm the one in charge of him all day long. I can't believe I allowed this to happen. I felt angry, um, angry that he would choose to do this angry at the world. Um, and I felt sad, but mostly I felt alone. Because who am I going to tell, right? I'm a pastor's wife. I'm planting a church. My friends are are friends with him and have kids that are friends with him. And, and so, you know, I felt alone. And I, as I started doing more and more research to try and help him, I learned how prevalent pornography really is. And I could not believe how... um how pervasive it is in our home and in our society. And I, I, this thought went through my head, why aren't we talking about this? And so, you know, after a couple of years of helping him, I decided, well, if nobody else is going to talk about this, I am, I'm going to start talking about this. And that's when I started hopeful mom uh, for parents. And now it's, it's morphed. It's gotten larger. It's for leaders in the community, caregivers, um, it, but it started out just for parents who had learned that their child was watching porn because I needed someone to come alongside me and tell me, you know what, it's going to be okay. You're going to, you're going to get through this. I didn't have that person. So now I wanted to be that person for someone else. Um, and so that's how I started hopeful mom. And that's really why I got involved in, uh, E3 family solutions, that organization also that I work for part-time where we go into schools and talk with them. And that was kind of the very beginning then too, of why, why, and how I ended up writing sex expectations. Wow. Yeah. That's a hard way of, uh, being thrown into that, I would imagine, but I mean, I, I can't even, I guess, imagine if my child came and, and said that, but, but at the same time, I have a friend who's that is exactly in the sense what happened to her, except it was her husband and you, they started getting these threats. Like we will, you know, we will release these pictures if you don't pay us money. Um, and it all exploded into their lives, you know, and, it was just, it was so hard. And I saw the devastation that it was producing in their lives and in their community because pictures, because they wouldn't pay, the pictures went out to church, family, you know, friends and family members and whatever, you know, so it was so difficult for them. Like you, I mean, they had, they have children and where my friend was kind of totally in the dark about it. 
Um, now, and I won't say totally because there were some, in her case, there were some signs there. But, you know, she didn't even realize that her children also understood they kind of had these inklings that something was going on. So it's it's hard to hide, but they do manage to hide it for a while. But but we live in a different society. It's not getting a Playboy in the mail anymore um, or a trashy book. You can find everything on the Internet. Yeah, it's it's totally different, right? Because, you know, a Playboy is two-dimensional. There's not a lot of action going on. But now kids are curious, you know, and they, as we all are, we're curious. But mostly, you know, preteens and teens are curious. They want to understand what sex mm-hmm. all about. And they just Google it yeah. innocently because they're just curious and they get full-blown acts. And it's way more violent and aggressive and objectifying than it ever has been. So yeah, we need as parents and as church members to be aware of what's out there so that we can uh, be on top of it. Mm -hmm. And, and of course we can go back to the Bible. I was sharing with you before we started recording about this book called none of these diseases. And it's an, it's an older book. It was first written in, in 1964, then updated in 2000. So it's still 20 years old, but it's, um, but it's, comes none of these diseases that comes from Exodus 15:26 and and the Lord promises that if they obey his laws and his statutes his commandments that he will keep from them or that they will experience none of the diseases basically that Egypt did but that these pagan countries were you know keep having problems with because because I mean I don't think many of us realize that the reason that one of the reasons that Jewish people hated the Roman soldiers and and basically Rome was because they were forced to be part of some of these things that they were doing. Um, homosexuality and, and all of those kinds of things were going on in the days of Jesus and, and after and, and before probably, but when we were in Israel, we saw these bathhouses and stuff where um, Herod had had, and and I'm not trying to get off subject, but they would rather die than work in these bathhouses for the Romans because it was so offensive mm-hmm. to them of what was going on that they they couldn't bear, they would rather die. That was pretty much how than be a slave and have to work in these places with these men and these things going on and very sexual um, permissiveness going on. So I think when we go back to scripture and how much the Lord is giving us, even in Leviticus and, and in the new Testament, you know, about our relationships with one another. And, and even Paul talks about, think about whatever is lovely, whatever is pure. And certainly getting involved in porn and, and, and I'll admit, I mean, you know, you're pretty open in your book about your life before Jesus and your life before your your husband and um your pastor husband because you were married before and and relationships that you had been in. But but I mean for me, my mom read trashy books and and, and 
I and yeah, and they were by well-known writers at that time, authors, but they were still trashy. And it was, and at that time, it was porn for women. It the romance books, and yeah. and I remember hitting in my twenties, about twenty-five, twenty-six, and the Lord just told me, "Stop reading this material." You need to fill your mind with my word. You need to fill your mind with things that are good and pure and holy instead of this trash. Because even the the romance novels, I can't even read a Christian romance novel to this day. I still don't read those books. But they fill your mind with what you even think love is supposed to be like. And then you get into a relationship where it's not like the book. And it's like, I must be a failure. Because it's not like the book and it's not happily ever after. And it's not, you know, so it's so hard, but we must be very diligent about what we put in our minds. And I think that's where it all started, at least maybe at some point with your son. And, but especially those people that you are reaching out to in the schools, those kids and, and everyone. Right. Because there isn't anyone society is telling us it's okay to read those romantic books that that borderline on yeah trash and and going into pornography and that and even you know even society is saying it's okay to to get you know be in a relationship before you're married a sexual relationship to to watch some of this pornography we were watching a popular television show the other night and i was like oh i didn't i didn't realize when i watched that when i was in my 20s that they referred to porn so much you know it was as normal behavior so you know um it's just yeah we we need to bring our kids the ones that we have influence over at least into the place where they understand like everything needs to line up with God's word. That's the plumb line. That's the place where we need to take it all back to. And he, he gives us those rules in Leviticus. He gives us those laws and, and precepts and all that stuff because he knows what's best for us because he loves us. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't think that at that time, you know, you really do think it's like a current problem, you know, modern day first world problems, you know, as they say, but but it really isn't. I mean, it's been around probably since the Garden of Eden. You know, I mean, honestly, I mean, it has been a problem since that. Because, you know, when I think about even the the language of Genesis and, you know, they were naked and they were unashamed. They were fine. And then what happened? They eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and suddenly they're ashamed. They're hiding. And I, I learned from a rabbi that basically what that was all about was that their knowledge now was about what was good and evil in their own eyes. And now the desires they had for each other made them feel shameful and embarrassed because suddenly they had these desires that they didn't have before because it was different. Their minds were open. But I thought I found that very interesting because we're not often explained that way to us in the church but anyway um but i i guess that when those desires came to be then that just opened up like pandora's box for the future of etern- you know humanity basically right. <laughs> because suddenly we can either embrace them in within marriage 
because they're there. They're there before marriage. They're there when the hormones kick in, right? So I guess my question would be here, how do you teach children that these these feelings are completely natural and normal because they're they're within the hormones that the Lord gave us as well, you know, as, as being desiring a mate. Um, but then how do you, even as a um, pastor's wife and a person who goes into the schools, explain these things to children so that they get a, the proper view of what's going on in their bodies and how they should handle those emotions and desires? Great question. The first thing is that we need to not be afraid of it. And I think that's been part of the issue, right? Growing up and in, you know, past couple of century or a couple of decades, at least that this is a taboo subject and we don't talk about it, um, especially in the church. Right. Um, and right. then, you know, the other thing is to counter the um, the seventies and, and all of the, the sexualization of that was going on during that time, uh, we came up with this purity culture answer, right? And so at the, then all of a sudden we're swinging the pendulum, the opposite direction of, you know, we need to be able to say no, and this is a bad thing. And, and I, I'm not slamming that because I, I understand it was born from a pure motive, but Mm-hmm. When doing research about purity culture and um, and I was one of those parents telling my kids, oh, you need to not have sex and you're going to ruin your life. Um, we we um, unintentionally got them to the point where they are thinking sex is bad. Right. And mm-hmm. so that's a wrong thought also. So when I go into the schools and of course, when I'm in public schools, I can't talk about God, but I do tell the students we're not against sex. We actually are in favor of it. And we hope that you have great sex someday when you're in the right circumstance and when you're ready. And, you know, when we talk with our kids and we can bring biblical information into it, it's helpful to tell them God created you. And isn't this cool how your body works and how he puts you together um, and how your hormones are working. And, you know, especially poor, poor girls getting their period and stuff. If we can say this is a good thing. Yeah, it's. It's, you know, it, it's not something we like going through, but God created it. And so if we can help pull that in and let them know, but it needs to be balanced with God also has given us fruits of the spirit, you know, self-control mm-hmm. and we're learning and he's teaching us boundaries and he te- he's teaching us self-control and the, these fruits of the spirit so that we can learn when and where any behavior really is appropriate, right? Because it's like anything we, anything good taken out of bounds is, is not going to turn out well for us. So same thing with our, with our sexual behaviors, it needs to stay within God's boundaries. And he put those boundaries there for a reason because he loves us and he doesn't want us to be harmed. Just like the book that you were talking about. I'm sure they go into STDs, right? Yeah. So it's like yeah. we're trying to help you and and keep your physical well being uh, intact, but also your emotional well being, right? Because I'm sure when I was reading Leviticus uh, 18, and it talks about well, don't have sex with this person, and don't have sex with this person, and don't have sex. It's because we build bonds with people, you know. 
we're building relationships, we're building an emotional attachment. And so mm-hmm. we, we want to help them understand that, that any intimate relationship is going to affect all areas of our life physical, emotional, spiritual, right? And intellectual, mm-hmm. mental, all these places. And we, we want you to do that in a very healthy manner. Uh, and when, and that's also how we talk about pornography, because when you watch mm-hmm. pornography, your brain actually has all these hormones that kick in all these chemical reactions, and you begin to bond with images on a screen. And now you are unable to actually bond with a real life person. And that's so sad. It really is. And I don't think people realize that they don't understand. Like you mentioned, God created us this way because when he told Adam and Eve to cleave to one another, you know, leave your father, leave your mother and be one. He put the hormones within us to actually make that happen. And, and men, especially, I mean, at this point, I know it's, it's probably equal for women and men nowadays that because it's so easy to get to, um, you know, I was an anatomy teacher and when we get to the sex part of the book, the reproduction part of the book, it wasn't just anatomy, but it was physiology. And I'd explain, you know, the differences, you know, Right. I mean, men and women see sex differently. You want to hit on that a little bit? Um, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Cause, uh, cause guys, it is, is more physical and it's stor- certainly more visual and, and women are more relational. Uh, so they, it, it is changing, but you know, in, mm-hmm. in general, women are more relational. So they, they equate sex with love. And I know I did when I was, you know, before I was a Christian, that's how I felt loved is if this guy likes me, if he asks me out, if we get intimate together, then that means he loves me. Um, whereas the, their hormones are just going crazy and, and they're more about, let's just fill this physical need. Um, and so, yeah, there is a little bit of a difference there, although you might know more since you studied it more. Well, only the the hormonal parts of it, because oxytocin is a hormone that both women and men have, but women use it to bond to their mate, but also to bond to their child. Um, It's used in both ways for us. And that bonding is what you hit on earlier. We don't often understand that because of our, whether we're women or men, but women tend to bond more readily to somebody. And I've heard the statistics that when a a man and woman, you know, go down the aisle to marry, they basically have something like 15 other bonds that they have made throughout, maybe more, 15 or more. But, but basically a guy walking down the aisle or waiting for the wife to his you know, fiance to come down that aisle. It's like almost like he has 15 other women with Mm -hmm. him when he's watching for his wife. And a woman is walking down the aisle with like, you know, 10 or 12 other men, basically that she has been sexually bonded to as she's walking down the aisle to this man. And, and, and we don't understand those bonds don't, aren't broken. They're spiritual 
and physical bonds that are made through the way God intended, because through our hormones, through our, all that, everything, our emotions, everything gets tied in together. And, and I don't think we realize that our emotions are like washed in our hormones, in a sense, you know, they, everything is so tied together. We can't just separate it as this is my sexual life over here. Yeah. Because it's part of your emotional and spiritual yeah. life. And that and that's something we need to be teaching our kids. Like it's all interconnected. You can't just separate out things. Yeah. I didn't ask you this before, but you you brought up the subject of when a man makes that bond with somebody in the two-dimensional, whether it's a video or a magazine, that ruins the relationship he's in, yes. correct? I mean, it ruins the relationship with a woman, whether it's his wife or, you know, somebody he's just in relationship with. But I, I guess like, how can you describe, you know, it becomes an addiction, yes. right? So pornography changes your brain chemistry. Yes. Would I be yes. accurate in saying that? Yeah, just like other addictions, they've done actually like brain scans And they've seen that a brain addicted to porn looks similar to a brain addicted to meth or cocaine. It's crazy. Yeah. Because your brain is forming grooves and pathways, neural pathways, especially, and and all brains are neuroplastic, yours and mine too. But the brain that's between 12 and 25 is got the most changes going on. It's, it's still forming. It's still developing. We say it's under construction when we're in the classroom. And so whatever they are doing at that age, they're more likely to develop an addiction to, and their brain is going to be more impacted and uh, more difficult to change as they get older, if they continue in that behavior. And I I think it's sad because some of the people I have come to know over the years, um, especially the men who were addicted to pornography, it actually started because their fathers gave them the magazines or their fathers introduced them to the pornography. Have you run into that a lot? Yes. Yes. I recently was actually talking with um, a guy who runs a a podcast for men who are addicted to pornography and his same story, his dad, you know, had it in his life. And it's, um, again, going back to society and the beliefs and, and how we've been, I don't know, conditioned to think that's, that's a rite of passage, you know, that's, uh, boys, boys will, will be, be boys. boys. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, and yeah. truthfully, my husband at first, you know, when we found out, I mean, initially within those first 30 seconds of finding out that my son was watching porn, he really at first thought to himself, what's the big deal? I did that. Um, but when you start doing a bunch of research and understanding that, no, this is different. This isn't, you know, I have to search for it. I have to make a plan. I have to, you know, just read a magazine and look at a picture or two. And even that could turn into an addiction. Definitely. This is different because it's so readily available and it's so easy to access. And porn is preying on our children. It wants to find them. And so those algorithms are kicking in. And I tell that in the classroom too, look, porn wants to find you because they know the porn industry knows that if they get a consumer at your age, they will have a consumer for life. They do understand oh, addiction. Yeah. 
in the case maybe of your son, if you don't want to go that personal, that's fine. But how do then you walk through getting rid, getting, fighting the addiction and getting healing? Yes. What does that look like? Yeah. Great question. And now remember he was 14 when he came to us and then 16. And so that's my perspective because it might be a little different if they're younger, but first is to put some sort of parameters and boundaries in place. Um, And we told him, look, we're going to help you, but, but we don't want you to think we're punishing you because this is not your fault. Um, And how I knew to say all that, I don't know these are things I tell my parents now, look, they're victims. So we want to treat them as such. It's a very good point. Yeah. This is not your fault. So we're going to put some parameters in place. We're going to put some boundaries in place, but it's not to punish you. It's to protect you because that is our job because we love you just like God does for us. He loves us. He wants to protect us. He puts those rules and boundaries in place. So filters for sure. I highly recommend filters for anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, every household should have them. And we have filters on our Wi-Fi, and then we also have filters on every device and then parental controls, depending on the age. Uh, but those those will not stop the addict or the person who wants to get to it. So then the ongoing conversations, and this was really where we did do um, somewhat well in the sense that we had ongoing conversations. We were constantly checking on and in on him. And then he knew at the point where he finally decided, and that really is key, is that he finally decided that he wanted to change. He knew he could come to us for help. And we, you know, we were, we had ongoing conversations every single night, check-ins, 10 or 15 minutes for him. Um, Mostly those were with him and his dad so that they could be a little more uh, detailed about what was going on in his life. I I understand. Um, Yeah. We did things like um, he told us that we needed to take away his phone at night. So we put it in our master bathroom every single night. We had been leaving them in, in the kitchen, but he said he was getting up and getting it. So he, he told us that's not good enough. You have to move it elsewhere. Uh, No more social media. So he on his own decided no social media. And um, just as a side note, my daughter decided not to have social media until she was 19 on her own because she knew how dangerous it could be. Mm -hmm. And um, we, (laughs) I felt like I was a glorified babysitter at the age of, you know, he's 16 now. And all of a sudden he literally could not be out of our sight for probably three months. He didn't, he just couldn't be alone. He, He was afraid of it. So, you know, we're, we were, keeping doors open at night. We were making ourselves available. If I was running errands, he was going with me, all that thing. Now, of course, that's easier because I was a homeschool mom. It was staying on top of it and lots and lots of prayer and reading the Bible and renewing of the mind because God, oh, it's so cool. I mean, we talked about the brain being neuroplastic. That's really actually a very cool thing if you think about it, because we can have these habits that we do, but we know sometimes like I know that some of these habits I have in my own life aren't great for me. And so if I start diligently working and chipping away at changing those habits, my brain will change with that too. Mm -hmm. And I won't crave those things that were addictive um, as much anymore. So has your church changed how it deals with this because of your situation? 
Yes. Yes. We talk about it way more openly. Um, we have conversations in our small groups and our connection groups. It's, uh, it's interesting how you can, you, any one person, I guess, can change the culture that you're in, the influence around you. So yeah, because of our experience, because of me writing a book and having this website, we definitely have a lot more discussions about what is available and out there. And people do come forward or come to us if they have issues or problems that they want to discuss. And we talk about it from the pulpit some too. So at least once a year, we talk about um, human trafficking and what's going on. And then I'm always sure to link that with pornography because that's a big deal. Yes, it is. Oh boy. We could get on so many tangents with this just because of the way our children are becoming exploited by the sex industry. You know, let's face it, pornography is a a very profitable. People make millions of dollars. Billions. Um, Yeah, billions. I guess you're right. Um, But Hollywood, you know, everyone, I mean, if there's, if there's no nudity in you know, there's movies. It's like if, if if it doesn't have some kind of nudity or some kind of sex act in it, you know, there are people who won't watch it. It's like, well, there's nothing in this to get excited about. Even going into the whole gay, lesbian, homosexual thing. I mean, you cannot watch TV without there being a character who is either a gay, lesbian, or a trans. And um, so it, it's there. You can't get away from it. So we can't, we can't take away everything out of our children's life to protect them as much as we would love to. I know like you, we kept our computer. The only computer we had, we kept it downstairs in the family room. So, and it faced so that the back of it was facing the wall, you know, so they were out in the open, whatever they got on there, everybody could see, anybody could see if you wanted what they were on. Um, we tried, I mean, and, and we were at someone's house once and, and I, I, my twins were only four at the time and they got on to play some little game. And suddenly my son calls me over and says, mom, what is this? I don't understand what's on my screen. I didn't put this on here. You know, and he's four, he's telling me the best he can. And, and it wasn't like there was a man and a woman. It was just like a very detailed shot. Um, and he had no idea, but I'm just like, how do I get this off the screen? How do I get this off the screen? You know, and here it was a four-year-old yeah. so easily found that picture by playing a little game. And it was an innocent game. And I, you know, so, I mean, I was there in the room with him. And yeah. so it's so, so easy to find. And so I, I think what you're saying there is that, you know, we have to become more vocal. We have to become aware ourselves of what's going on, but also making our children aware that this isn't, this is what God created. This is a good thing because he gave us this gift. This is how we have children. This is how we enjoy our spouse and our relationship, but there's parameters he put on it to protect us. Yes. So I, I've been a part of different churches and that have like recovery groups, you know, for people who are addicted to porn or sex and all of that. Um, so how often do you see those kinds of things popping up in churches? Are you seeing an increase of it or are you still seeing churches that refuse to acknowledge it? 
No, I think we're becoming more vocal. I really do. I I feel like um, we're talking about it more readily. And I don't know if that's just the area we live in because we're in central Florida and there's so many Mm -hmm. transient people here, or if that's, you know, across the nation Mm -hmm. or what the deal is. But I think people are becoming more aware and I see an increase in us being able to say, this is a real problem and we need to start doing something about it and having discussions with them. Yeah. So obviously your book is a great resource. Yes. Um, so expectations and they can, and I'll leave links to where people can buy that because you don't just talk about porn. You talk about relationships and you talk, I think in the very first chapter, you talk about like happiness, just like the difference between whatever, do whatever makes you happy kind of idea. And that's the kind of culture we're in, do whatever makes you happy. And it's funny because I did a study on the Beatitudes And the word there we always translate into blessed is, is actually happy is. And Mm. if you read the Beatitudes in that mindset, happy is the poor in spirit. Happy is the one who is poor in spirit. Happy is the one who mourns. Mm. And um, happy is the one who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. That is true happiness. But in our culture today, happiness is whatever makes us happy, whatever we can do right and to what end yeah yeah and it's all it's a selfish happiness it's more about as long as it makes me happy then it must be right and we're not thinking about um the people around us it's Mm -hmm. it's a selfless or selfish thing not selfless so yeah the the whole idea of the book is helping the next generation understand what healthy relationships are, because if we know what healthy is, then we can say no to unhealthy. Right. Right. And so, you know, what's, what does uh, a healthy relationship look like? And they don't know. Mm -mm. They think they know, or they might, you know, intellectually know, but experientially they're not in healthy relationships, you know, even friendships, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times, we're crossing bounds, even as friends, their friends are texting them at 2am and they're afraid to say, Oh, I, I, that's a boundary that I want to put into place that I'm not going to be on my phone between 10pm and 7am because, well, what if I don't answer them and they don't like me anymore? You know, right. It's okay. It's okay to say, no, I, I'm going to sleep eight hours in a row and I'm not going to answer your text at 2 Mm AM. And if that person isn't okay with your boundaries, then this is not a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and you talk about the pressure of even fitting in with hooking up, you talk about hooking up in your book and, and what that means and what that looks like, but that it's just a new word for an old thing. Yeah. 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 And the, and the peer pressure our kids experience is ridiculous. And I like to think of it in terms of how I experience peer pressure, because I, I get it. I, I have FOMO fear of missing out. And I am always pressured to do what my friends are doing and I'm old. (laughs) So, you know, imagine as a teen, what they're doing and saying and participating in just because of the pressure, like sending nudes, you know, they're, they might not want to be doing that, but everybody's doing it. 
And so, and uh, my boyfriend's not going to like me if I don't send it. So I'm just going to, you know, give in and, and let it let up on that. And so, yeah, so that's why it's important for us to say, this is healthy. This is not healthy. You're right. It's good. Because like I said earlier, you know, just reading romance books, you think that's the norm. That's what a healthy relationship looks like. Or maybe you came from an abusive family and you talk about this. Um, and you think that if it's a step down from that abuse, like, Hey, he doesn't hit me. He just calls me names. Then, Hey, this is a better relationship than what I saw my parents have. And, um, and we have to judge everything by honestly what Jesus said and what Jesus did. And did, did, you know, did Jesus love people by smacking them around or putting them down? No, he didn't love people that way. So we don't, you know, so we use that as an example. If, if we can keep going back to the word, keep going in prayer, you know, um, Lord, show me, show me what healthy looks like. Show me what love looks like according to your word, according to who you are. Um, but I think we need to guard our eyes, guard our hearts and our minds and our ears and our, our mouth. I mean, there's so many, you know, that old song um, that talked about, be careful little eyes, what you see. I mean, I think about those kinds of things we, we sung as children, but, but man, the truth of them, because, you know, Mm -hmm. he talks about the Bible, Jesus talked about, it's not what we eat or you know, eating with dirty hands, eating with clean hands, it, that doesn't defile us. It's what we put in through our senses and what comes out of our mouth and out of our heart that defiles us. And we just have to be so careful in today's society and what we watch even and not accepting everything just because even your friends say it's a great show. You know, I mean, I've heard family members and friends say, oh, this is a great show. You have to watch it and then get on like, what do you mean this is a great show? It's like, I can't, I'm not watching this. Um, so we had to be discerning, but any other things you want to add before we go, but also any other resources where people who are going through this in their life can turn to or seek out. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I did want to add that in my book, I talk about modeling healthy Mm. relationships obviously, and then teaching them, but also if there's been an issue in your home or in a relationship, reconciliation and restoration and maintaining healthy relationships. And so, you know, forgiving and trusting again and all those things. So if there has been a breach of trust and there's someone in your life that has, um, misbehaved or committed a sin, you know, how do we get over that? And how do we get back to having a restored relationship? So that's part of the book also. As far as resources, I do have a resource page on my website at hopefulmom.net. But I highly recommend for little ones, if we have little ones in the home, good pictures, bad pictures, and good pictures, bad pictures, junior. Um, I recommend uh, fight the new drug. Um, Also covenant eyes, which is faith-based. Um, and certainly there's, there's other faith-based ones out there, uh, the freedom fight that they're faith-based also. And, um, for a spouse, because I know this is big, huge, you know, Rosie McKinney, uh, fight for love ministries. She's, she's got some good stuff out there. And so does crystal Renaud day. 
she's she recovery so and that's for women who actually have pornography problems so there's a lot a lot out there yeah well good to know and i'll put some of those links i'll i'll put a link to your website as well and to your book so people you know have more resources um because even if you're on the side of the the spouse you know it's it's important that you get support and that you understand what's going on and how to help your spouse through that without it ripping apart your marriage hopefully so well thank you i appreciate you being on today and i um well i mean it takes a lot of courage to come out about this kind of stuff and i know for your son i applaud his courage for allowing you to write his story like that and it must be difficult at one point it must have been very difficult to even think about mom sharing what happened to me and what i went through but good for him that he is willing to that and uh thank you i appreciate it yes thank you stephanie i appreciate you allowing me to be here thank you for listening to grafted jewish roots of christianity you can find me at www.graftedjewishroots.com you can also find me on twitter at graftedjewishrt i appreciate you being with me and i'll see you next time